Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, in light of our focus on Regen, we're taking a little break from our journey through Mark, we'll finish it uh, in a few weeks, to, to just kind of marinate in this question that Jesus poses here to the, to the man at the pool of Beth, Bethsaida. Do you want to get well? It's one of my favorite questions that Jesus asks. I love Jesus' questions because um, it implies something very, very important, uh, which is what my shirt says. But change is possible. If uh, getting well wasn't an option, Jesus wouldn't be asking the question. Jesus came to change your life, to change my life, to to heal you, to make you new, to give you life to the full, to the abundant life. Change is possible. And but the question that he asks in our text today is do you want it? Do you want to get well? The story that we're going to look at today is just so beautiful. And it shows us so much about how God interacts with humans. It shows us God's posture towards us, his heart towards us, towards broken people. And I, I just love it. And my prayer is that we let our imaginations really enter into this story, enter into this moment with, of Jesus' life on earth and see ourselves in the story and see what the Holy Spirit might show us. Let's set the scene a little bit. First, we have Jesus coming up to Jerusalem, chapter 5, verse 1, for one of the Jewish festivals. And he stops near the Sheep Gate, uh, where there's a pool in Aramaic, is Bethsda. The scene is kind of overwhelming. It's where all the sick, where all the disabled people, blind, lame, paralyzed, uh, were there. And you just imagine what this scene would have looked like. It probably would have not smelled so good. They weren't like a staff of attendants to help people get to the bathroom and clean things up. This is just where desperate people lay down. Imagine, you know, rotten limbs from open wounds, the, the human waste, the moans and groans as people live with chronic pain day after day. And the reason that all these people were there is because of some superstition that when these pools were stirred up, it was because an angel was stirring the water and it would provide miraculous healing, which means that these people are at the end of the rope. They have no other hope for getting better. They're waiting around for a miracle. So on top of the physical lay of the land, the physical experience of the smell, the sounds, the sights, think of, just imagine a palpable desperation from people. And then we have this man who had been there for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and asked the question, do you want to get well? Which why in the world would Jesus ask this man this question? It's almost patronizing and offensive. Like you could be indignant. The paralyzed man had been trying to get well by the pool for decades. Why would Jesus ask this question? Well, Jesus is the master of asking questions. 
He's the master of the universe and asking questions is contained within the universe. So he's the master of asking questions. And the first thing I think we see is that Jesus is showing us here that not all of us are ready to be well. Not everyone wants to be well, is courageous enough to pursue health and healing. Maybe, the, maybe a part of us wants to be well, but the part that is functionally running our lives does not want to be well. Because becoming well means what? Change. Just consider this man. He's been uh, a paralytic, we think, for decades, maybe most of his life. Maybe he's 38 years old and he's just been there his whole life. If this man were to get well, what would change about his life? Everything. That could be great news. He would no longer be paralyzed, lying in his own filth next to a pool, hoping for a miracle. But it also, if we're honest, I think, and put ourselves in his shoes, it would be terrifying. He's lived a life where nothing is expected of him. Because of because of his disability, he was probably a lot, in a lot of hurtful ways marginalized, put off to the side. But he's probably grown accustomed to being invisible, of having no one looking to him, expecting anything from him. It, it, he's, he's grown to expect or be comfortable and just having to need people all the time. If he were to become a fully capable, healthy man, he'd have to work There'd be expectations on him now. His way of life, his normal, which albeit was full of suffering, but, but it was his normal, would be gone. He'd be embarking on a whole new way of being human, which again could be the best news that there is to this guy, but we'd miss out on the fullness of going on if we assume that it wouldn't be hard. As he experienced a life of being well, things that he'd probably spent day after day dreaming of, it would come to be a reality and have not live up to the hype or have downsides that he hadn't thought about. This is the, the Faustian deal, if you will. His entire life was marked by his identity with his suffering, with his struggle. It was painful and sad, but it was also known and to some degree comfortable, the status quo. It was how he thought of himself as a suffering person. As the the saying goes, better the devil you know than the one you don't. It's not good. It's hard. It's painful, but I know it. I know this pain and I can deal with it. I don't know what other kind of struggle or pain is out there. And so that's the question to us. Do you really want to get well or is it scary to get well? Even though there are things in your life you don't like, your life is good enough. Or maybe you've grown into your struggles, allowed your identity to kind of get linked up with your struggles and weaknesses to the point where they define you. And while it's painful, it's what you know, and it, it keeps you from having to engage with life. There's a, a man at um, the first church I pastored, uh, a really sweet man, who had struggled with a pornography addiction for decades. He, he was in his, uh, I think, early 60s or whatever. Uh, faithful church, church guy, served in the church. 
but he had kind of grown, allowed his porn addiction to make him like not worthy to do anything or to step out or to assert himself or address any problems in the church. And so while he hated it and tried to kick it over and over and over again, it was also somewhat of a protective barrier because he could kind of just wallow in how unworthy he was and how he couldn't say anything to anyone else and address any issues. And then when he did experience victory, it was one of the sweetest parts of my time at the church, seeing him experience victory over that, over pornography. He was like a man on fire, stepping in with courage to situations that were hard, that were scary but he had the courage to do it. The second thing we see in Jesus's question is that he, we see a desire to draw the invalid man out, out to share, at least into a little bit of a relationship. If Jesus had just come up and said, you're healed, and then moved on, there wouldn't be much of a connection, at least compared to, do you want to get well? It invites the man to share. And I'm just so struck by the man's response. He pours his heart out to Jesus. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Isn't that devastating? I have no one. Yes, the man was, had these physical ailments, the physical paralysis, But according to his response, the resounding pain of his life was that he had no one, no one to help him. He was all alone seeking this superstitious, desperate attempt at healing. We also have to acknowledge that this is a pretty pathetic answer. There's a lot of sorrow and sadness in it, but it's like he didn't answer Jesus's question. He just pours out his pain to Jesus. I have no one. I'm so alone. This shows us something really significant about what it means to be human. Relationships are the most crucial part of being human. From the beginning, before sin even entered the picture in creation, what did God say? It's not good for man to be what? Alone. There was a big study on trauma a little while ago. Uh, where they were diving into all the factors surrounding trauma that indicate whether or not a person would recover from trauma. And the hypothesis going in was that it would depend on the type of trauma. The severity of the trauma would determine the degree to which you could experience healing from the trauma. But what they found was that the single most important factor, the single factor that would determine whether someone would recover from trauma was having safe meaningful relationships in which they could share their pain, share their story. It didn't matter if it was repeated egregious sexual abuse for an entire childhood or being exposed to extreme violence in war or whatever. If there were meaningful, safe relationships where people could feel felt in their pain, then they could recover. On the flip side, if someone had maybe a minor trauma, lowercase t trauma, like a dad who just, you know, maybe was a little critical or a breakup with a person that they thought they would marry or something like that. But if they weren't able to share that pain in a safe environment, then they would struggle to recover. They'd be stuck in it, easily triggered 
by it unhealed. That's, uh, one book I read even said that is what makes a little T trauma a trauma, is not being able to share it. And I think it's profound that we see in this man's story that his experience is that he's alone. His physical condition is almost secondary to his relational condition. Verse 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. <clears throat> Hold myself back from preaching a Sabbath sermon. Healing on the Sabbath, I love it. We'll talk about that later. <clears throat> Excuse me. But even in the face of this somewhat pity party, self-pitying, you know, non-answer that the man gives to Jesus, Jesus heals the man. Jesus gives him three commands. You have get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, for a long time, I wrestled with this miracle of Jesus uh, because it seemed like an outlier. It seemed different than most of the other miracles that Jesus did. In most of the miracles, you see people coming to Jesus desperate, saying things like, if you will, Jesus, you can make me clean. Or if I can just touch the hem of his cloak. Or just say the word. I don't even, yeah, I, I know you can do it. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. You see these people coming falling at Jesus' feet, confessing in some shape or form faith. There's this beautiful, desperate faith we see in Scripture that is the means, the pathway to experience healing from Jesus. And it doesn't seem like there's any of that here on first glance, at first glance. The, Jesus comes up to the man, initiates this conversation, and the man answers, seems to have almost no faith in it, other than he answers honestly and sharing his pain. But here's what I hadn't noticed before, is that Jesus commands him to get up. Which means that this man who had laid here for 38 years would have had to try, maybe the first time, to stand up on his own. He would have had to risk trying to get up, risk collapsing back down onto his filthy, urine-soaked mat in shame. He would have risk the pain of trying to get up with muscles that had atrophied and joints that had stiffened and locked up. But he obeyed. He got up. He picked up his mat and he walked. To be clear, who did most of the work in this situation? Jesus. Jesus did the miraculous redemptive healing in the man's life. But the man had a role to play. He had to choose to listen to Jesus and get up to actually, you know, roll forward on his hands and knees, shift his weight back onto his atrophied legs and try to stand up. Jesus does the healing. Jesus is the person who can change us. That's what I love about region. All the language around region is that Jesus is the one who does the healing. It's not the regeneration program that does the healing. It's just the program is a means, is a way to connect to Jesus who does it. Jesus is the only one that can bring deep change. 
But sometimes in church, because, you know, we don't want to be legalists or we don't want to be accused of trying to, like, do works-based salvation or whatever, is that we miss the fact that anyone who experiences transformation in relationship to Jesus had to do something, had to show up and put their faith to work. It's even more uncomfortably, what does Jesus say about faith? Your faith has healed you, which I'm like, okay, you're Jesus, so I know you're right, but like, are you sure that's how you want to say it? It's just Jesus looks at our faith. The saying goes, without God, we can't but without us, he won't. Without God, we cannot be healed, transformed. Change is not possible apart from God, the kind of change that we're talking about. But without us, God will not unilaterally just zap us with the change lightning bolt. Healing and transformation must come from Jesus, but scripture is clear that we have a role to play. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, because uh, God is at work in us to will and to work. We draw near to God and he, draw nears, he draws near to us. We step out in faith so that he can heal. And to be sure, God does all the heavy lifting. To be sure, our part is small, but we still have a crucial role to play. It's like the sailboat analogy. If you want to sail a boat, what can you do to make the wind blow? Nothing. But what can you do to participate in the act of sailing. Get your boat in the water, make sure it doesn't have holes, hoist the sails. I never sailed. You know, I'm just using the terms I've seen, heard in movies or whatever. The wind is the only power that can move a sailboat. It's outside of our control, but there's stuff that we can do so that when the wind blows, we can sail. And I have a few things for us to consider here in response to this text. First, is the question, are you tired? Are you, are you tired of just accepting and living with your anxiety? A moment in my pastoral ministry that I'll probably remember till the day I die was sitting with a woman in my office who was sharing just this tidal wave of anxiety and I was kind of overwhelmed and so I just did what pastors do when they're overwhelmed, which is repeat back what they said. It sounds like you're really anxious. And she said, yes, I'm anxious. I've always been anxious. Anxiety is just my thing and I'll just always be anxious. And I don't, I don't know why, but that pierced me to my core. If this woman who had grown up in the church, the faithful church member at my church was just accepting anxiety, that's something that Jesus told us, hey, don't be anxious about, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Just accept, it's just who I am. I'm just, I'm just a paraplegic. I'm just, I just can't walk. It pierced me. Like, what are we doing? If we as church people, people who say we follow Jesus, just accept a way of life that's not what Jesus calls us to. Are you tired of anxiety? Tired of depression? Tired, maybe, maybe it's not full-on depression. It's just a general sense of numbness. Just a general sense of Whatever. Are you tired of your porn addiction? Statistically, the stats on porn, you know, in the 90s, you know, like 90% of people have seen it or struggle with it. Like, it's not a secret. Like, it's out there. Like, one website, uh, men's website that I like, talks about fighting pornography is just like now a rite of passage. It's just like something every man's got to do at some point. Are you tired 
of just tolerating, just getting by. The man in the story was getting by. He'd survived somehow for 38 years as an invalid. It wasn't a great life, but he was getting by. And maybe that's you. It's not a great life, but you're, you're getting by. There's some kind of stability or equilibrium. But it's not great. But, you know, if you have your favorite comfort foods, you can watch enough college football, binge on video games, you know, then you can, you can make it to the next day. And that's just not the life. I'm just here to invite you into more. This is not the life that Jesus died for you to experience. And maybe for some of us, if we're honest, you know, deep down, we just don't believe that God really likes us. We've like prayed the prayer so we know theologically God has to like tolerate us because we believe in Jesus and Jesus died for our sins. But if you could be honest about what the face of God looks at like when he looks at you, it would be a frown. It'd be an eye roll. It'd be a, a tisk of disappointment. Friend, if you're here today, out of all the places that you could be, And it means that Jesus is asking you, do you want to get well? Do you want to see God's loving delight over your life? Even the parts of your life that you feel most ashamed of. What will you answer him? The second thing for you to consider is what is your pool of Bethsaida? There's like different wording in the Greek or spelling in the Greek. So I'm not quite sure which way to say it. Maybe you're aware of something in your life that you want to change. You may wrote something down on your change slip. You put your hope in some kind of Hail Mary long shot, you know, last ditch effort kind of thing. We might go from self-help book to self-help book. You know, podcast guru to podcast guru. We might try counselor after counselor or different concoctions of medicine. Listen, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen a counselor for years. Like all these things can be helpful. But a lot of times in order to avoid looking inside, we look for a solution outside. And we just kind of like are trying to find the secret concoction of things. I, I know someone who has deep emotional and relational pain, but insists that all her problems are a physical ailment. And so she's just going around doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor trying to find something that will fix it because she's unwilling to consider the deep pain in her soul. The message for us today is that Jesus is the only one ultimately can heal. Counselors and therapists can be so helpful. I've, I've done years of therapy. Medicine can be so helpful. Physical health, seeing a doctor and getting some blood tests can be so helpful. But if all those things are part of a healing journey that is not centered on the person of Jesus who sees you and loves you, died for you, and has risen again to make you a new creation. And your healing will be limited. The third thing to consider is, I I, I wonder if some of us here today have our ducks in a row and are thinking, but I'm not an invalid. I'm already well. This doesn't apply to me. What do you mean, do I want to get well? Isn't regeneration for people with addictions, 
the billboard, big flashy, you know, testimonies that get brought up on stage. You know, I was like, had no money, was shooting things into my arms. And then I found Jesus and I, and for me, you know, I've never drank too much. I don't use bad words. I'm not addicted to porn. I've never been divorced. I'm good. Regen isn't for me. And I just would invite you to consider the sneaky way that our hearts can reject God. Even in respectable, socially acceptable ways of living. A few of us were down in Dallas this past week for the National Region Conference. And one thing I loved that was shared was uh, one of the speakers talked about how the same root issue can manifest itself in our lives in in really different ways. So he was talking uh, about how his strong desire was for comfort. And instead of going to God for comfort, who in the scriptures has revealed himself as our comfort and strength, uh, he tried to get comfort by being super controlling, uh, trying to, to manage, manage people and interruptions and things around him super rigidly to avoid pain. But in his same regeneration group, there was another guy who also wanted comfort. And instead of going to God for comfort, he went to pornography and alcohol. So this guy is like, oh yeah, your sins are on the outside. You obviously need help. This guy just works super hard and has like a really well-run calendar and, you know, answers all his emails on, on time. And just like, you know, super respectable white collar on top of it. But they, it's coming from the same thing. That's why one thing I love about region. Like we don't want to just put like control freaks here and porn addicts here. It's like we, we see that whatever the, the fruit, the, the problems, the visible problems in our lives are, it comes from the same root thing of trying to meet our needs apart from God. Both of those things will destroy your life. Porn and alcohol, it seems that's a pretty easy one to see how it could destroy your life. But hyper-managing life can be devastating. You become a control freak. It will alienate your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, because people can't be controlled. That's just one example but it's what I love about region. It shows how at the root, all of our issues flow out of trying to meet our needs apart from God. And there's something powerful that happens when we're in an environment where people can be honest about that. Look at the, uh, the verse. Uh, this is kind of the, the key verse for, uh, for region from Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. This is a beautiful passage. Try not to preach on this. But what this passage is saying from the Holy Scriptures is that all of us need regeneration. That all of us apart from God were foolish, led astray to passions. Maybe it was cocaine or maybe it was food. 
Maybe it's something egregious and bad. Maybe it's just like, what well, Baptists be eaten. You know, maybe it's just like what, what we do. We're all mired in envious, broken relationships. What I'm saying is that this, this passage outs us all. This passage outs all, says that all of us need the goodness and loving kindness of God to wash us, to regenerate us, to make us new in the power of the Spirit. So if you're not sure if you really have struggles or issues that regen could help with, then I invite you to, to just assume Scripture is right, that there might be something in there that you're not aware of yet, and that's okay. To take Scriptures at their word and consider what loving kindness and renewal might be available to you. There is a tool uh, that Regen puts out, uh, it's a, and if you scan this QR code on the back of your change slip, it takes you to like a little online survey, survey where you can answer some questions. That's called a struggle finder survey, uh, which is not great advertising. Who wants to find struggles? But uh, if, you, if you are curious, they're, they're, they could give you some good awareness. And then the last thing to consider in light of our passage is what haven't you been able to share with God and others? What hurts have you experienced that you feel like you could never share? Maybe it's a big T trauma. Maybe it's a little T trauma that you've carried all alone. Maybe it's a, a huge thing from your past that you think, if, man, if people knew this, then they'd never be my friend. They never look at me the same again. Or maybe it's a little T trauma that you felt like was never really worth sharing. Or you do the classic church people like repression, which is like, well, other people have it worse. <laughs> you know, there's, there's worse stuff. We do the competition and we always lose. You can always find someone who has it worse and just never shared your pain. And that's become traumatic because unshared pain becomes trauma. What habits have been part of your life for years that you've never felt safe enough to share with someone or invite God to enter into that habit? What hangups have you just been grinding on for years? Things you can't get past. Something your mom said to you. Something that your kids have done that keeps you up at night. Something you see in scripture that just you don't like, that makes God seem petty or unpleasant, and you just had never felt safe enough to be like, I don't like the Bible in this spot. Because we're supposed to be good church people and love the Bible, and so we haven't felt safe to share it. The invitation to region is invitation to share what you haven't shared with some brothers and sisters who are also going through the same thing. To be asked questions and have a safe place to speak honestly. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I'm convinced that if you do not have a community of brothers and sisters around you who you can share honestly, like the ugly stuff, then you will not grow very much. You'll remain stuck. And most tragically, I think we'll have a very limited understanding of, of God's love for us. So one of the main ways that we experience God's love is through his people, through his spirit-filled people, being the, the flesh and blood, hands and feet of Jesus in our lives. It's risky. Those people aren't Jesus. They're not perfect. But we will miss out on love that God has for us, his love that we can experience. 
for us. I have a couple pastor guys that I talk with every other week and I was sharing some of my angst, kind of all confused and I've walked with them for years now and the degree to which they could hear me and frame the pain that I was experiencing, the frustration I was experiencing in my bigger story and speak truth over, it was just like, it was like a weight lifted. I didn't even know I was carrying, it's such a gift. Do you want to get well? And region is a tool. It's not the thing that gets you well. It's just one tool, one path to get up and see Jesus looking at you with compassion. To, to risk shame and vulnerabilities to get up, you know, literally or figuratively, <clears throat> using parts of our souls that maybe have atrophied or hardened or that we've locked away and see what Jesus might do when we let him into that space. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.